Well, as we get started, I want to ask you a question. Who would say that they enjoy yard work? Raise your hand. Much less than I expected. Who says they really do not like yard work? All right, so some of us vehemently do not like yard work. Others of us really take a lot of joy from cutting the grass, planting flowers, maybe laying mulch. I know as a lame dad in his 30s, I really enjoy doing yard work. I take a lot of pride in how my yard looks. But I'll be honest with you, I didn't feel the same about my parents' yard <laughs> whenever I was growing up. Mainly because my dad saved the cushy jobs for himself, like cutting the grass on his riding mower while I had to weed, mulch their many mulch beds. And my least favorite, picking up the tree trimmings that he would trim <laughs> every month. I remember one particular Saturday, I just didn't want to do yard work at all. I was not in the mood to do it whatsoever. And I look outside and I see my dad's trimming trees and I'm like, oh no. I know what's gonna happen. He's gonna ask me to pick those up for the next two hours. And then I hear, Taylor, Taylor. I knew exactly what was gonna happen then. And so I did something that day I'm not really proud of. I literally hid under my dad's desk in his office while he was yelling for me. Taylor, Taylor, for literally 10 minutes. <laughs> he, called, he called me out at least two dozen times. And eventually he found my hiding spot and he wasn't too happy with this game of hide and go seek, unsurprisingly. And I still had to do this task that I really tried to avoid not to do in the first place. My dad wasn't very happy that I ignored his call to pick up the tree trimmings. Well, this morning, we're going to dive into the book of Judges and focus on a man named Gideon who was hiding not under a desk, but in a wine press when he was called by God to save his people from enslavement. And I think we can really relate to Gideon, and we'll see that as we go throughout this passage, because Gideon, like us, wrestled with doubt and fear, but the Lord was still able to use him for great things. So I hope and pray that the story of Gideon will inspire all of us to be men and women who refuse to be controlled by anxiety and fear. All right, so why shouldn't we fear? Why shouldn't I fear? I shouldn't fear because, number one, God is with me, because God is with me. During a sermon last November, I did a broad overview of the book of Judges and its main themes. I want to give you a quick refresher on this book so we can have a bit more context for our study of Gideon's calling. You know, throughout the book of Judges, Israel constantly chooses to slide down the slippery slope of sin to do things they're not supposed to do and worship false gods. And as a consequence, God would send a foreign invader into Israel to enslave them. Israel would then call out to God for his mercy and his help, and God would raise up a judge, a deliverer, to rescue his people. But then they would fall into this cycle yet again. And we see this cycle reset in Judges chapter 6. Once again, Israel has sinned against the Lord. They've worshipped false gods. So God brings a harsh consequence upon them. He sends the Midianites into Israel, and they don't just overpower them. They strip their land of food and resources. Listen to how this invasion is described in Judges chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. The Midianites would encamp against the Israelites and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in numbers. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out to God for help. 
Israel is at their lowest point right now. They're enslaved, they're starving, they're hiding in caves like frightened animals, and they cry out to God for his help. And in his infinite mercy, God listens, and he raises up a very unexpected judge. So let's read about the call of Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 24. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wondrous deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and has given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in all of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's household. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike Midian as one man. And we'll stop there for now. As I mentioned at the beginning of this passage, the story begins with Gideon threshing out wheat for his family in a wine press, which is basically a massive hole in the ground. He's doing this not because it's the best place to do this task, but he's worried the Midianites will find him and take away his family's last source of food. Gideon is in survival mode, and he's completely desperate. In this moment of desperation, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and gives him a special call. And this angel, this angel of the Lord, pops up throughout the Old Testament, and scholars debate who this figure actually is, but the overwhelming majority agree this is Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate state. Jesus Christ, before he came to this earth in a human body over 2,000 years ago. We see this angel pop up to Moses in the burning bush. He wrestles with Jacob all night. He prophesies to Samson's parents about what their son will accomplish. And Gideon even recognizes this isn't a regular run-of-the-mill angel. It would be be flattering enough for God to send an angel to deliver this message. Instead, he sends his one and only son. How awesome is that? What an amazing privilege that Gideon does not deserve. And I love how the angel of the Lord addresses Gideon. He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Really? (laughs) Mighty man of valor? This is kind of hilarious because Gideon is hiding when he's told this. This has been like my dad addressing me as a mighty worker. doesn't really make sense. But in that moment, God didn't see a frightened farmer. He saw the future warrior and leader that Gideon would become with his divine help and empowering. And God sees the same thing within you as well. If you're a Christian, God doesn't see your failures. He doesn't focus on your insecurities. He doesn't focus on your mistakes. Instead, he focuses in on Christ in you. He sees the perfect and righteous obedience of his son. In light of this amazing reality, we don't have to hold on to our path. It's already been forgiven. We've already been saved from it. We also don't have to fear the future because like Gideon, God has established our steps and he will lay out good works for us to walk in. You too can be a mighty man or woman of courage. 
And you may be thinking, Taylor, that sounds great. I just, I just can't be courageous. I'm always worrying about something. I have so many doubts. I have so many fears. I just don't think I'm a person of courage. Well, I have great news for you this morning. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is the willingness to face your fears head on and overcome them. Courage is the willingness to do what is right even when it's hard. It's a willingness to take a leap of faith and trust that God will catch you. It's a willingness to take risks even though you don't know what's going to happen. When Gideon receives this call to be a judge, it takes him a while to overcome his anxieties, and he gives his excuse to the Lord. He says, please, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon is doing the same exact thing that we do all the time. We focus on ourselves and our weaknesses instead of focusing on God and his infinite strength. Gideon was looking within himself when he should have been looking outside of himself. And we do the same exact thing. And the Lord responds to some awesome news, but I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. In other words, Gideon, guess what? You can't do it, but I can, and I will be with you every single step of the way. God gives us the same exact news this morning. I am with you. I think all of us need to hear that right now. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're wrestling with, God is with you. God is with you when you fail. God is with you when you mess up. God is with you when you feel alone, when it feels like nobody else is with you. As long as God is on our side, there's always hope for the future, and there's no reason to give in to the fear that constantly attacks our hearts and our minds. I shouldn't fear. Secondly, because God is stronger than any obstacle or opposition. Because God is stronger than any obstacle or opposition. God then calls this mighty man of valor to live up to this title. He tells him to do something that wouldn't be popular at all. The worship of Baal had become very popular in Israel at that time. And there was actually an altar to Baal in Gideon's village that even his family would worship. And God says, Gideon, I want you to tear that altar down and replace it with an altar to me. And this is a really big deal. Because if Gideon does this, he can receive public shame. He can lose his father's inheritance. He can also be put to death. And so we read this. Gideon, well, we, we learn that Gideon obeys, but the Bible says that he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, so he did it by night. Gideon doesn't want anybody to know he did this godly act of vandalism. <laughs> so he sneaks out in the middle of the night, and he does it, and he hopes that nobody else is going to notice that he did it. Now, to his credit, he didn't let fear paralyze him. He still did it, but he did it under the cover of night. How often do we do something like that? <laughs> God calls us to do something. Okay, I'll do it. I hope nobody notices that I'm doing it. Unfortunately, everybody else finds out in the village that it was Gideon who did it. But to make a long story short, God protects Gideon and he survives this experience. Yet again, we can relate to Gideon in this story. We want to do the right thing. We want to obey the Lord. We want to live for him. But we struggle with worrying about what other people are going to think, what other people are going to say about us. You know, the person who says, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. You ever heard somebody say that? I'm like, yeah, right. The person who says that 
and believes it is either a liar or a sociopath. I'm sorry. Everybody cares what others think about them. Is that always a bad thing? Is it a bad thing to care what my wife thinks about me? <laughs> is it a bad thing to care what my employer thinks about me? Caring about what other people think about you isn't necessarily a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing when you have an unhealthy obsession with what other people think about you. And because of this, you sacrifice your integrity. You sacrifice your devotion to the Lord. You know, as a teenager, I desperately wanted to fit in. I wanted my peers to think I was cool and I was funny. So I'd act like a chameleon. I would change who I was to be someone I thought they wanted me to be. I would really just tear people down and be mean because my friends thought it was funny. And they would laugh at me about it. I even pretended to like Pittsburgh sports, which I do not care about, because <laughs> all my friends liked it. If you ever talk to me about sports, you'll see my eyes just glaze over as I think about something that's more interesting to me. We can all relate to that, right? And this desire to be liked doesn't end when you graduate high school, by the way. It follows you around for the rest of your life. Whether you're a teenager or an adult, deep down, we all want people to like and accept us. In our flesh, we don't want to go against the flow. We don't want to go against the grain. We want to blend in and not stand out too much. But this totally goes against our following, our, our calling as followers of Christ. We are called to stand out as set-apart people who shine the light of Christ in a world that is filled with darkness. We're to obey the word even when it costs us something. As I tell our teens all the time, if you want to be cool and popular, then being a Christian really isn't for you. <laughs> It really isn't. As Pastor Dan's been teaching over the past several weeks during Romans chapter 1, we are commanded to go against the grain of this culture. We're called to hold fast to convictions like the truthfulness of the Bible. The exclusivity of the gospel is the only way to eternal life. Hold to the biblical view of sexual ethics, the sanctity of unborn life. These things are not popular in 2022. And they can be hard to cling to in the face of the pressures of this world. And it's so sad that so many churches across this country are content to serve the ever-changing public opinion of this culture rather than cling to the unchanging truths of God's word. They are content to serve the false gods and bales of progressiveness and cultural relevance rather than cling to their own integrity and faithfulness. Let me ask you some important questions. Are you content to please other people more than you please God? Think about that. Can you be content pleasing people more than pleasing God? Can you be content to serve the demands of this culture rather than obey the commands of this book? I hope and pray that the answer is no, because this country and this world are in desperate need of courageous Christians with spines of steel who are willing to lovingly and graciously stand in the gap for truth and hold to their convictions no matter what. Finally, I shouldn't fear because God is absolutely trustworthy. I shouldn't fear because God is absolutely trustworthy. You would think by this point that Gideon would trust the Lord that he would have this faith that God was calling him to do something that was bigger 
than himself, but he still had fear. He still had doubts that were swirling around in his mind. So he asked God for more proof before he moves forward and obeys anymore. So let's read about this in Judges chapter 6, verses 36 through 40. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just one more time. Please let me test just once more at the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. It always amazes me that God went along with this. <laughs> Gideon shouldn't have, trust, shouldn't have asked for a sign once. He asked for two signs. God can be like, you know what? I'm done with you. See ya. I'm going to find somebody better than you. You know what? God understands how weak we are. God knows how hard it is to have faith in him. So he stoops down to Gideon's level, and he gives them this tangible proof that he can see with his own two eyes. Now, please don't take this as a, take this as a hall pass to ask God for signs and put him to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16 says this, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Couldn't be any clearer or blunter than that, I don't think. I shouldn't hear in your ports of you laying out sweaters on your lawn this week to make an important decision that you don't know what to do with. That's a really bad plan. Don't do that. We shouldn't put God to the test because it reveals a lack of faith. It reveals a lack of respect for his character and his track record. Trying to discern God's will through tests and signs is never a good idea, and it will backfire. You know, God isn't a circus monkey who, twists to our dance, who, who, who dances to our twisted tunes. He is the holy God of the universe who deserves our trust, who deserves our respect. God has already laid out in his word how we are to think, how we are to speak, how we are to live, and he has given us his Holy Spirit to help us make wise decisions about our families, our careers, and our futures. Unfortunately, I've come across a lot of people who try to test God and use signs. We all know people who always say, oh, it's God's will for this to happen. It's God's will that I did this. And it's like, I think you just want it to be God's will for you to do that. Here's some examples of modern-day fleece tests that I've heard. I'm not sure if I should date this person, so if they don't text me back by 6 o'clock, I'm going to break up with them. I've actually heard that before. Okay, what if they text you like two seconds after 6 o'clock? You're just going to break up with them because they didn't text you in time, even if they're a good and godly person? I've heard this one. I'm not sure what college I should go to. I'm going to go to the college that sends me an acceptance letter first. All right. What if you get two acceptance letters to two different colleges on the same day? What are you going to do? Looking for signs muddies the waters and end up leading you down the wrong path. Look for God's will in his word, in prayer, in his church, and through the advice of godly Christian friends that you trust and not in made-up signs that mean nothing. But like Gideon, we all have a hard time trusting the Lord. We all have a hard time trusting in his will and his timing because sometimes it feels to us like God has no idea what he is doing. But in those moments, we have to remind ourselves of a really important yet hard to accept fact. He is God and I am, come on, you don't know what this is. 
Because he is God and I am, all right, now we're all awake. He is all wise and I am not. He knows what's best for me and I do not. God has a cosmic and eternal perspective on everything while we have a teeny tiny limited view of this world in our lives. We can trust God because he is in control. He is sovereign over every single aspect of your life and my life. Now, who would say that they're a forgetful person? Wow, a lot of you have good memories, apparently. I'm a very forgetful person. I use the Reminder app on my cell phone all the time. If you ask me to do something, I will immediately pull out my phone and write the reminder on my phone right then, or I'm going to forget. But guess what? God doesn't need a reminder app on a cell phone to remind himself to keep his promises to us. He doesn't need an alarm to jog his memory to finish a, a specific task at a specific time. I heard one pastor say that God rules the universe with his feet up. He is not worried about your future in the slightest. And you shouldn't be either. That's much easier said than done, and I'm a warrior by nature, so I know how difficult that can be to live out. Our fears can look so ridiculous and so small to other people, but in the moment to us, it seems like it's the biggest thing in the world. It's so hard to take our eyes off of our circumstances and the nightmare scenarios that we come up with and focus on God, focus on his grace, focus on his mercy. You know, being a parent has both upped my fear level and put my fears into perspective at the same time. I have new fears I didn't have two and a half years ago, but I also watch my two and a half year old son and I see him not living with the fears that I struggle with. My son Sam has never worried about where his next meal is going to come from. He never is worried about what he's going to wear tomorrow. He has a childlike faith that my wife and I will take care of him. How much more should we have that kind of childlike faith in our Heavenly Father who always, always takes care of us? Let's trust that he has tomorrow figured out and every single day after that. Let us trust that he has established our steps both through the green pastures of life as well as through the valley of the shadow of death. So let's spend our last few minutes together in prayer. So let's all bow our heads, close our eyes. I want you to go to the Lord and bring your anxieties before him. Bring your fears and your doubts before him. Maybe it has to do with your kids, has to do with your job, has to do with school. You know what these things are. Bring them to him and ask for his divine help. Ask for his peace. And I'll close us in prayer in a minute or two. God, we come to you.
and we thank you that you not only know what we're fearful of, but you care about these things as well. Lord, help us to lay these things at your throne, to offer them up to you, to cast our burdens upon you because you alone are strong enough to carry them. Lord, help us to be men and women of courage. Lord, help us to face our fears head on and not be controlled by them, but to trust you, to obey you, to love you, and to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.